Blog Talk Radio. This is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at School. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs each Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help challenging students and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach in your classroom and your school. If you have a question or comment, call 646-727-2691. Once again, that's 646-727-2691. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about challenging kids and how we can help them. So hey there, and welcome to today's program. Uh, We only have uh, two more programs left after today for the remainder of this school year. We're going to call it quits on the Monday before Memorial Day, May 31st. And I believe we're going to be joined next week, May 17th, uh, by a group of faculty members uh, at a school uh, in Canada we're going to be calling in to discuss collaborative problem solving. So today is one of our two remaining open call-in days for the program, Uh, just to give you the lowdown for the rest of the school year. Of course, we will be back in September uh, with um, more programming to help you implement the collaborative problem solving approach at your school. Uh, As they have been since we began, these are your 45 minutes Um, the the whole goal here is to help people do collaborative problem solving in their classrooms and with challenging kids. Uh, So, as always, if you're working with a student who's not responding very well to Plan B, uh, running into trouble using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, having difficulty getting the folks at your school to buy in, Uh, Call in, comment, ask questions, get the support you need. That's what these 45 minutes are for. Or if you just feel like listening to what others are talking about, um, just listen in uh, to others who are running into trouble or having successes uh, using the collaborative problem-solving approach. I'm told that we do have a few folks who will be calling in today, and as always, callers take precedent on this program. we have a caller already. We'll, we'll get to you in a moment, I promise. Uh, in the meantime, I should tell you our theme for the day. It's not, this is, you're not going to know what I'm talking about until I get to it. We're going to take our caller first, but our theme for the day is landfill. Landfill. We'll see if we get there. If not, it'll be the theme for our next program. Landfill. My bet is that even if you use your imagination, you're not exactly going to be sure where I'm heading there. By the way, as always, if you're hesitant to call in, feel free to send me a question electronically through the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website. That's www.lives, with a V, livesinthebalance.org. Hopefully that won't be the other, that won't be the only reason you visit the Lives in the Balance website. My goodness, there are, there is literally hours, dozens of hours, of uh, audio programming on that website that you could listen to anytime you want to. There's streaming video on that website showing you what Plan B is supposed to look like, what some of the ways in which Plan B goes awry. There's commentary. There's, well, it's kind of one-stop shopping for collaborative problem solving. 
Callers take priority. I'm going to put our caller on the air right now. Uh, let's see if the technology is going to work here. Yes, there we go. You're on the air. Thanks for calling in. Hello. Hey. Oh, can you hear me? Okay. I can. Yeah, uh, in good shape. Great. This is uh, Jordan from Vancouver Island. I sent you the email last week. Okay. Don't use any names, though, but fine to use yours if you want to. Yeah, I'll just use mine, yeah. That's all right. Um, and actually, I'd, uh, I'd thought about it a little bit more, and I've been I put together well, let's uh, kind fill, of a list. Let's fill everybody in on what your email said. Okay, I'll start with that. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I sent, I think, three questions. My first question was, um, I'll just read it off uh, as written. Using your recommendation to, be, to begin with unsolved problems, opposed to lagging skills, I have really struggled knowing how to incorporate lagging skill development into the solution. Not only is it difficult to have confidence in a specific cause-effect, so lagging skill causes an unsolved problem relationship, but I don't feel the mutually agreed-upon solution is actually contributing to meaningful skill development. It seems additional work on skill development is needed to address lagging skills. Um, if I could determine which uh, lagging skills to target, and how do I build skill development into the solutions? And that's a great question. Let me just that's that's question number one, right? Yeah. Um that's the que that's a question that I frequently get, and that is when you're working on unsolved problems, how are you simultaneously teaching lagging skills? Mm -hmm. And that's a great question. Should we take them one at a time or you wanna roll through all three and then we'll take them one at a time? Well I Watch actually I sent off I sent off a whole load of uh, questions that are a lot of them. I think can be answered quite quickly. I sent them off okay. to you just two seconds ago. But oh, okay. if we can go through them one at a time, that'd be great. All right. I see your email to me. Let's take that one first. Yes. Sure. Let's get theoretical first. Theoretical first, not where I tend to live, but we'll start there. Um, lag unsolved problems are the byproduct of a lagging skill and a demand for that skill. Unsolved problems are the specific conditions in which a demand for a skill is being presented to a kid who's having difficulty delivering on that skill. I've come to call that the clash of the two forces, lagging skills plus demands for those skills. Theoretically, and even practically, unsolved problems are these specific conditions under which that's occurring. So as an example, let's say a kid's lagging skill is impulse control. And let's say that the environment, well, first of all, we would expect challenging behavior, the likelihood of challenging behavior to be heightened if poor impulse control were being demanded of a kid who has poor impulse control. So that's sort of generically when challenging behavior would happen for that kid, at least one circumstance. But now let's get more specific about the conditions under which that's occurring. Let's say one condition under which impulse control is being demanded of the class is raising your hand without calling out during a class discussion. If a student is having trouble raising his hand and resisting the temptation to call out during class discussions, and that unsolved problem is a byproduct of for impulse control and demands for impulse control, mm -hmm. then if we're working on that unsolved problem with the student, calling out without raising his hand, 
then we are simultaneously working on the lagging skill that gave rise to that unsolved problem. Now, have we cured him of his impulse control troubles? No. We've only worked on one example in which his poor impulse control and demands for impulse control are causing him difficulties. Do I believe that his impulse control will improve, at least somewhat, uh, if we continue working on these specific conditions, unsolved problems, in which he's exhibiting poor impulse control? Yes, I do believe we will start to see some progress on impulse control in general if we're working on the unsolved problems, these specific conditions under which the kid is having difficulty with impulse control. Thus, by working on unsolved problems, we are simultaneously working on the lagging skills that give rise to those unsolved problems. What do you think? Um, well, I guess I guess my only worry is if it, if it's the, you know, if it's the demands of the environment um, that we're working on here. Um, a lot of a lot of times, uh, I think the approach, like I know there's an alternate alternate school in the community, and the approach for them is largely to Say you can, I guess you can say have, they have kind of a plan C approach where they kind of just lower the bar not only in curriculum but also in uh, in kind of uh, reward punishment in in uh, any behavioral expectations they don't really pursue their expectations so they yep. don't really see any um, they don't see the same kinds of behaviors and you're absolutely right that that would be plan C the only uh, and you know what? Uh, plan C is certainly in the mix, even even in the uh, collaborative problem-solving approach, because obviously you can't work on every unsolved problem at once, only a few at a time. So some of them we're not going to be working on right now. Those are Plan C, and some of them we are going to be working on right now. Those would be Plan B. So um, yes, because it takes those because the clash of the two forces includes two forces: lagging skills in the kid demands of the environment, certainly one way to work on that is to improve the skills of the kid by solving the problems that those lagging skills are giving rise to. The other way to do it, and you wouldn't want to make a full-time habit of this, otherwise you wouldn't be working with the kid on anything, but you certainly would want to make a part-time habit of this because you can't work on everything at once, would be to adjust the demands of the environment so that they are no longer asking for skills that the kid does not possess in the first place. Um, that's the combination of plans B, where you're working on unsolved problems and simultaneously lag, uh, teaching lagging skills, and C, where you've decided we can't work on everything, so let's adjust the demands of the environment on the things that we've decided we're not working on right now so that at least those demands aren't causing challenging behavior. So that's a very good point. What I would say is this. One of the ways in which people miscomprehend collaborative problem solving is they think it's completely about plan C, meaning that the only thing collaborative problem solving is about is to adjust the environmental demands just so the kid doesn't blow up. And of course, number one, plan C isn't even when you're doing collaborative problem solving. Plan B is, but one would have to imagine that that wouldn't be a very productive approach to intervention because it means you're working on absolutely nothing. You're solving absolutely no problems and teaching absolutely no skills. So... Um, good points. Okay, right, I'm going to open. Go ahead. That brings up another question that, that's kind of in my mind is, um, while 
you know, while I'm trying to roll this approach, trying to use this approach in, in my work, one thing that's difficult is that say, a lot of envi- there's certain environments, school environments in particular, that are pretty, have shown to be so far unwilling to buy in. And so the environmental demands aren't, aren't something that, that they're willing to be flexible about. And so is, at that point, is this still the best approach to use with these kids, or should I kind of try to build some skills to, in some way, uh, prepare them from, you could say, you know, a very uh, hostile environment? Well, I, you know, I don't know if there's, this is the amazing thing, um, can you take a kid who's already vulnerable and build in skills so that he can handle the adults in his environment who are interacting with him in an extremely hostile way? My answer is no. I think that um, there's no escaping this. Um, I think it's a great question, but I think there's no escaping that we have to help the adults who are thinking that their hostility towards a kid is going to somehow benefit him and somehow be productive. We have to help those adults come to the recognition that what they're doing is not only counterproductive, but also harmful. Um, We have to point out to them that what they've been doing all along, thinking that they were helping, I think that I'm going to assume the best of intentions, thinking that they were helping, um, thinking that what this kid mostly needed was a strong hand. Um, we've got to get the lesson through, finally. Um, he, he needs to know who's boss. Um, all those rationalizations that cause adults to think that treating a kid in a punitive, sometimes hostile manner is going to be productive in some way. We need to help them, quote-unquote, see the light, and we need to help them see that there are a lot of kids scattered in their wake who they actually haven't really helped and um, are continuing not to help by continuing to view their difficulties inaccurately and continuing to interact with them in ways that are clearly, although not necessarily to them, counterproductive. We then have to make sure that they know that there are other tools available to them to achieve the same things that they are trying to achieve through Plan A, but in a way that is likely to be far more compassionate and far more productive than the way they may be going about it right now. So my answer to um, are there ways to prepare the kid for adults acting unreasonably, Um, yeah, maybe less vulnerable kids, maybe kids with more skills can be helped to be prepared for adults who are going to behave toward them in a... uh, counterproductive way, but I find that the kids we're talking about, the kids I deal with, the kids you're dealing with, um, they're too vulnerable, they're too at risk, and mostly they don't have enough skills for that lesson just yet. We need to interact with them in ways that are productive, not counterproductive. Mm-hmm. Should we continue with some of your other questions? I'm, I'm reading your, through your email here. It's... Um, uh, quite an email. I'm probably not going to be able to read through it the whole way. But um, and uh, by the way, I'm envious that you get to be on Vancouver Island right now. Um, <laughs> some people have all the luck. Uh, which of your other questions would you like us to uh, work on? Um, I guess. Let me see here. I'm just. Well, I, I guess I'm just trying to get clarity on, on the, your answer for the first question. Your answer 
if I'm getting it right, would be that the process does teach the appropriate skills. That's correct. Now, that doesn't rule out the possibility of doing some additional skills training. Mm -hmm. um, I, I find that, though, that um, the vast majority of time that I'm actually working with a kid, I'm much more focused on unsolved problems than I am, than I am on lagging skills. Um, I, I think that solving problems, by the way, is going to be faster than the skills training is going to be. I think we can get a lot of sol problems solved and dramatically reduce challenging episodes without necessarily having skills taught fully yet. So let me, let me put that a different way. If we're working on lagging skills directly, but we aren't solving any problems, it could be a long time before we start to see some headway. Mm -hmm. If we're working on unsolved problems first and getting some of them solved and simultaneously, but slowly, no more slowly or less slowly than if we were trying to work on the skill directly, if we're slowly teaching skills, then at least we have a bunch of problems solved on the way to getting skills taught. I'd rather go that route then wait for the skills to get taught before we get any problem solved or reduce the kid's challenging behavior. Yeah, well, we definitely, we, yeah and we definitely need that it to, to go in that direction for there to be continued buy-in by schools, I've recognized. I think that that's absolutely true. But I think that um, people tend to be pretty content, the adults I'm talking about here. If they can get some problems solved, they're pretty pleased. And... At some point along the way, they probably notice that the kid has acquired some crucial skills that he was lacking. But I find that having adults focus more on the lagging skills. Now, the unsolved problems are crucial. Having said that, the unsolved problems are crucial for making sure that people have the right lenses on so that they're not viewing the kid as manipulative or attention-seeking or coercive or unmotivated or limit-testing while they're trying to solve problems with them. So the lagging skills are crucial for helping people have the right lenses on but you don't usually have to teach the skills directly. You're usually teaching them indirectly by working on the unsolved problems that are byproducts of the kids' lagging skills. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I like, uh, there's another one of your questions that I'm reading in your email that, um, well, now let me find it. I switched out of it. Here we go. Um, let me jump to your question number three, if you don't mind. Is that okay? No, no, no problem, yeah. Uh, I meet, it says, I'm meeting with school staff to explain what I and the school counselor are attempting, uh, meaning collaborative problem solving. Uh, she gave me forewarning that they're going to ask, what do we do about the other 28 kids when the kid is shutting down or acting out? How can we justify spending that much time with one student? And can we justify giving one child exemptions for assignments and making concessions for disruptions when we need to set a precedent for other students? And, and that's and I, actually – go ahead. And I feel like I, I kind of know your answer for that one from having read through your, your question and answer part from your books. Um, but when using that kind of answer with, with the school staff, I haven't really had any success. At convincing them? At convincing them. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, essentially. They're not being convinced. Well, I don't know what you're saying to them. I will say this. Generally speaking, I find that if we explain plan B to people first without 
providing people with the background information on why we're doing Plan B, namely lagging skills and unsolved problems, then I find that it's very hard for people to buy in because they don't understand why they should be doing Plan B. Plan A still makes perfect sense to them if we don't explain for people why they ought to be doing Plan B, lagging skills, unsolved problems. When we explain lagging skills and unsolved problems to people, that also permits us to explain why um, Plan A isn't working because Plan A doesn't teach any of the skills we're talking about here. And Plan A, they may not have noticed this unless we pointed out to them, isn't solving any of the problems that are reliably and predictably setting the kids' challenging behavior in motion. So I find that if we jump straight into Plan B with people, they are going to reject it rather quickly because they don't know why they, they, don't know why they ought to be doing Plan B and they don't understand yet why Plan A isn't working. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some more specific questions that you've asked. What do we do about the other 28 kids when he's shutting down and acting out? Well, that's, as I've sometimes said on this program, that's my least favorite question because it steers us into what do we do when there's an emergency? What do we do um, when an unsolved problem that was probably highly predictable sets in motion challenging behavior yet again. But that's pointing us toward what do we do in the heat of the moment under the worst possible circumstances. Mm-hmm. What do we do under those circumstances? We muddle through. I don't have anything great. I never have anything great to tell people to do under emergent circumstances except keep everybody safe. Mm-hmm. Now, what do we do so that we don't find ourselves in that emergent circumstance over that same unsolved problem yet again? Well, now we do proactive plan B. And now we don't have to really worry about the other 28 kids when the kid is shutting down or acting out because we're handling the problem proactively, preferably. Of course, that's then going to lead us to your second question, which is how can we justify spending that much time with one student? Um, Well, it is true. You do have to put time into plan B for it to work. But over time, plan B saves time. In which case, if you if you add up the amount of Plan A that we've been doing with this kid and all the time we've been spending on him using Plan A and all the lost learning, um, Plan A takes much longer than Plan B. You do have to put time into Plan B to save time with Plan B. But the way we, well, that's one answer. The way we justify spending that much time with one student is because all the time we've been putting into him already hasn't saved us any time. So we might as well try something else, even though that something else is going to take a little time. Mm -hmm. But then, more philosophically, we're losing a lot of students, a lot, because, well, the ones who are most at risk for poor outcomes, especially those with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges, uh, our schools really aren't set up for us to put time into those kids, and that's not their fault. The truth is, that's nobody's fault. It's not a teacher's fault either or an administrator's fault. But the people who can do something about it are the administrators and the teachers who can make sure if they're taking collaborative problem solving on as a building in particular, that they start creating time for people to do collaborative problem solving uh, with the challenging kids in the building, confident 
in the belief, and of course schools that are new to this aren't always confident in this belief, but I'm confident in this belief having seen it happen, confident in the belief that if we put that kind of time in now, we're not going to be putting that kind of time in forever. But if we don't put the time in, we keep losing kids left and right. And of course what we're dancing around here is our theme word for the day, landfill, but I'm not quite there yet. You might be thinking, is it talking about that pile of unsolved problems that accumulates over time and the large number of kids who have unsolved problems, and it's because they have all those unsolved problems that have never been solved, and because there's so many of those kids and so many of those problems that it adds up over time so that by May we're feeling completely overwhelmed by all the problems that haven't been solved in this school year? No, I'm not actually talking about that pile. I'm talking about a different pile. We're not quite there yet. Should we turn to the third part of that third question? Uh, let's see, the third question. And the third part was uh, the making concessions. Yeah, yeah. Can we justify giving one child exemptions for assignments and making concessions for disruptions when we need to set a precedent for the other students? Um, I think that so long as we're setting a precedent for the other students, we're probably not doing collaborative problem solving. I'm mm-hmm. not exactly sure what precedent it is that we're trying to set. Here's the precedent I'd prefer that we set. When kids have a problem in our classroom, we solve it collaboratively, together, in a way that works not only for the student, but in a way that works for the other person who was in the problem with the student. And that's the precedent we set in our classroom. But that's not what most people mean by setting a precedent. Most people, when they say setting a precedent, mean Um, we're going to show these kids the way the law gets laid down here. Otherwise, we are very worried that if we show the slightest chink in the armor, the ones who are presently behaving themselves will stop behaving themselves. And I never find that that's the case. I find that, well, as you know, if you've heard me speak before, you know that I believe that kids do well if they can. And you know that, therefore, I believe that the kids who are behaving themselves are behaving themselves not because we've been setting precedents, but instead because they can. Mm. I find that the more we set precedents, the worse the kids with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges do. And I actually don't think that's the precedent we want to be setting because that precedent means we continue failing to respond to what's getting in the way for our challenging kids. We continue setting the precedent of not even understanding what's getting in their way in the first place. I don't know if that's the precedent we want to be modeling for even our well-behaved kids. What I find is that there's lots of things that are being, I wouldn't call them concessions, but there's lots of kids having an individualized plan. Uh, And we wouldn't call the individual, for academics, but we don't call those exemptions, and we don't call them concessions. We call them solutions that are well-matched to what a kid actually needs. Why wouldn't we apply the exact same mentality mentality, and, quite frankly, the exact same phraseology to kids with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges? Now we're not making exemptions. Now we're not making concessions. Now we're not setting the wrong precedent. We're simply being responsive to the needs of each kid in the classroom. And we do that academically. We need to do that for social, emotional, and behavioral challenges, too. 
I recognize that one of the things with teachers always there there's a belief that calling kids out on a behavioral challenge will be harm their dignity and you know it's it's and might harm them more socially and so they they seem less hesitant to use this approach around behaviors well luckily we're not we're not in the business of calling kids out we're in the business of meeting with them under optimal circumstances to find out what their concern or perspective is on the unsolved problems that are reliably and predictably getting in their way. And I would call that very dignified, very humane, much more effective. I think continuing to deal with them in ways that don't address their true issues, now I think um, we're moving more in the direction of what you were talking about. I don't think that's very dignified because the kid is still acting up because he still has unsolved problems that haven't been addressed. That's not dignified at all. Mm. You have your work cut out for you, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, how much time do you have here? Because I've got a, I have a, you know, a bunch of questions and I wanted to try and maximize the opportunity to speak with you. <laughs> so, uh, well, you know what? I'm happy to take most of the rest of the program. Go, go ahead with some other questions. I, I may, um, uh, we'll, I promise we'll get to landfill. Um, I'm going to cut you off about five minutes before the program ends. We've got about ten more minutes. Okay. Um, okay, here, this is, I'll, I'll just read you off this one that's, it's current right now and it, it's a real struggle. I'll kind of give you some background on it. It's actually the question six that I sent out uh, this right before the program. So I've, I've been um, started working with this kid in a school a couple months ago. Um, you know, this school for the most part is starting to buy on. You know, I've got them. A couple of them are bought in the lost at school and have looked at the websites, and uh, and so there's some collaboration starting with the the school staff. Um, we started trying to implement Plan B with one of the kids who was frequently melting down due to assignments being handed out. So he's given an assignment and it would be, we just use the word meltdown, but he would become nonverbal and then when pressed would do a variety of different behaviors that were kind of strange, you know. Um, so meeting with the school staff, um, this will actually cover a couple of the questions I, I had. Our original Plan B included um, the the child's concerns, which was doing school schoolwork is too easy. He, he's a very bright kid, and so it's boring, or it's pointless. He doesn't see the point. He doesn't see the application to the real world. So those were his concerns, as far as I could drill them down using your terminology. And then the school's concerns were um, the, the meltdowns. So my the original plan that we did, I think I may have done it incorrectly, and then we rev we have revised it. Because original concerns were him shutting down, and so I think that was one of my questions around: is that a secondary type thing, or is that actually the concern? So I guess we we kind of assumed it was secondary in l revising the plan later, because the school's concerns were actually him doing schoolwork or identifying if he was capable of doing the schoolwork or not. So we came up with something, and that you know the uh, the, the child was, you know, I think it was a good process where um, if the schoolwork was too easy or if he is pointless, he was willing to do two questions and then if it was too easy, he could read and if it was, um, if it was not too easy, he'd continue on. 
of course, that only worked for some classes, so we have uh, recognized we had to do it individually for each class and it, with different kinds of disclaimers or different kinds of solutions, sorry, for every class. Um, that was working at reducing the meltdowns for about three weeks, and we we had none, and that was going going well, and the school was getting excited about this. Then we were, um, the, the only problem with the school was they were feeling that their expectations weren't being, that their expectations weren't being pursued, that we weren't getting any closer to him doing school work, which actually wasn't on the, the original concern. As I mentioned, the original concern, it was kind of twofold. It was shutting down and knowing if he was doing schoolwork. So we started looking at reviewing the plan. I think we did it every week, and we've been looking at this. And, um, and what we found is, is that the child has another concern. So not only schoolwork's too easy or schoolwork he sees as pointless, but the third concern being he just doesn't want to do it. And, and it's been very difficult to find out why he doesn't want to do it. So in, in any approach, I can, in every way of trying to get that, you know, get that information from him, what is it, what is, you know, is it one class, is it assignment, is it teacher, what is it? Um, he he just he shuts down and and this has been um, he shuts down really quick and really easy you know he's got a history of I think people approaching him in a, in a certain way and so um, so I haven't been able to figure that out so what we've put we just put that in the Plan C category so we we're saying okay if it's too easy or it's pointless then he'll use these solutions he agreed with or developed essentially uh, I, I feel collaboratively. And he has been doing, and he, and he has some buy-in into that. Um, and then the, if he just doesn't feel like it, well, then since we don't really know what that's about yet, we've, we've put that into the Plan C category. But what we found is as soon as we rolled this out, he started exploiting that plan, that plan C and saying, I just don't feel like it for every assignment. Yeah, I'm not sure you're going to have... Um, I'm not sure that the best use of Plan C is to handle uh, unsolved problems that we're having difficulty getting clarity on. Okay. Um, I think that we are sticking with trying to get clarity on those unsolved problems. He's, I mean... If, if work completion in a particular subject area is the unsolved problem, um, we need to find out what's getting in his way. If we take that unsolved problem and stick it into plan C instead, just because we're having difficulty clarifying what his concern is, mm -hmm. then I think I can understand why the other teachers would say he's um, exploiting that. I, I personally wouldn't use that word. I'd say, well, if we're plan seeing work completion, then we're saying we have no expectation for work completion. I wouldn't say he's exploiting that. I'd say that that's an unsolved problem that we're saying we can't just let go. We have to actually work on that one, in which case it would stay in plan B, and we are trying to find other ways to extract the information from him uh, about why work completion is difficult for him. Now, I will say this. One of the hardest things I'm finding people struggling with is they often start um, Plan B with such a vague 
unsolved problem that the kid isn't able to actually give them much information because what they're asking for is too vague. And so I'm curious, just to see if we can focus on that a little bit, uh, I'm, I'm curious about whether he might be able to give us more information if we are much more specific about what unsolved problem it is we're trying to work on with him. And work completion is certainly more specific than, say, um, not doing so good in school. But here's what I've been telling people lately. Better to start in a way that's too specific, work completion on a particular academic assignment in a particular subject area. Easier to start too specific and then broaden the conversation than to start so broad that you don't get any information in the first place and then trying to get more specific than from there. Mm -hmm. I'd start specific. Mm -hmm. So it would be work completion in a particular class, perhaps even on a particular assignment that we'd be starting with. Um, but isn't it, I think it's fascinating how we mm, ascribe characteristics to the kid, like exploiting, when if it was an adult decision to put the unsolved problem in plan C, for better or worse, uh, that's not the kid exploiting. That's us putting it in plan C. That was our choice, not his. Mm -hmm. And I just use the word exploit because that's uh, I, that, I think that's the perception of the school staff is that this is what's happened, and that's why I use that word. I suppose. I, um, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it, your use of the word only reminds me that it's a word that I hear frequently. Mm -hmm. It's it's actually not unusual for um, uh, adults to even think that the reason the kid isn't talking is because of characteristics that are specific to the kid. Uh, he doesn't want to talk, he's playing us, he's manipulating us, etc. When in fact, I find that it's actually much more common that the reason the kid isn't talking has more to do with how we've approached him than it does with his desire not to talk. So it's sort of a fascinating setup. Um, we may have time for one question, one more question if you feel like that one's been answered satisfactorily. Um, yeah, I think from to what I'm getting from you is that the the, the unsolved problem being um, the assignments being handed to him wasn't or the assignment completion isn't specific enough, and we actually need to look at it at an individual class or even assignment based level. Yes. Okay. All right, that's great. Thanks. Um, I guess, and then there's another one that I have that I thought was, um, I, I really just didn't know what to do with this. So it was the question three that I sent, saying, um, I'll just read it off. How do, or does the CPS process overlook the historical component of emotionally based perceptions? And then I clarify, uh, would this approach supersede or be used in collaboration with approaches like cognitive behavioral therapy? An example being a child with a history of rejection or abandonment who perceived normal situations as malevolent or, and hostile and will create confirmations by acting out. So, for example, you know, he'll, he, he will maybe push another student and then the other student will hit him back and then, it, then he'll have justification for retaliating. And, I, and this has um, been fairly common and, and I think it applies to a variety of circumstances with this same child. 
Well, that's a harder one to answer. I mean, um, that's seeing something in a kid's behavior that I think is a bit of a leap. And so I'm not, you know, I'd have to know the specific situation better than what we have time on this program for us to hear about, at least at this point. Um, if you're, if the basic question is, um, how does collaborative problem solving fit into the general realm of cognitive behavior therapy, probably fits in quite well. Um, the, the biggest issue that I have with that is that what a lot of people mean by, a lot of people when they say cognitive behavioral therapy are still talking more about behavioral than cognitive. And I think the collaborative problem solving is actually much more cognitive than behavioral. So that's a very, that's a wide umbrella and lots of different therapies fit into it. Uh, I just start to become a little bit concerned when what people have always called behavioral is now being called cognitive behavioral, even though it's not really very cognitive and is still very behavioral. But if you had to pigeonhole collaborative problem solving, certainly cognitive behavioral therapy is one of the umbrellas under which collaborative problem solving would fit. There are numerous others. When it's done in a family, it's very consistent with family therapy. When in systems, it's very consistent with systems therapy. There's obviously a huge neuropsychological uh, aspect to collaborative problem solving. Um, it's a lot of different uh, forces uh, and influences that have combined to uh, help me uh, weave together what has come to be known as collaborative problem solving. Um, on that note, since I want to get to our word for the day, uh, mm -hmm. landfill, I, I think this might be time for me to thank you very much for calling. And I thought this was a wonderful call, and I'm very appreciative that you called. And I'll see if I can answer the remaining questions by email if it's possible. If not, I may save them uh, for either next week's program or for the following. Thank you very much for calling in today. No, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. You bet. Um, landfill. Why would landfill be our theme of the day? Well, I was talking with a school about this this morning, the word landfill. Why landfill? They were telling me about all the solutions they had applied to the problems of a particular kid who they've been struggling with for the entire year. And it suddenly struck me that many, 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 many solutions had been tried for problems that still weren't very well understood. And all those solutions are now in the past by this time in the school year, adults have talked enough to a challenging kid, applied enough solutions. People are worn out. But those solutions that didn't quite get the job done, they're all piled up. We've got a whole pile of solutions that didn't get the job done over the course of the school year. And the group that I was working with this morning, we came to realize that solutions, not just unsolved problems, but solutions pile up too. I started referring to them as the landfill of solutions, solutions that we put a lot of time into, solutions that we had high hopes for, but solutions that always have a few characteristic trademarks, trademark characteristics. Number one, solutions that were arrived at without having any idea whatsoever about what the kid's concern or perspective was, solutions that were arrived at without having a clear sense of what the unsolved problem was that we were trying to work on with the kid in the first place. Solutions that even if we did have a clear sense of the kid's concern or perspective on a highly specific unsolved problem, we didn't collaborate on the solution. 
we divined it. Solutions that weren't realistic, meaning the kid couldn't do what he agreed to. Solutions that weren't, or we couldn't. Solutions that weren't mutually satisfactory, meaning that the kid's concern, if we even knew about it, wasn't addressed, and maybe even ours wasn't either. Let's spend the last few weeks of this school year, and I know in Canada they've got many more than just a few weeks left. Let's spend the remainder of this school year solving problems collaboratively and uh, leaving that landfill of solutions that failed behind. Time to stop today's program. Hope you found it informative, useful, helpful. We'll get back together again next week. Bye-bye.